Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is October the 5th, 2021. It's uh, 9 a.m. Uh, in San Francisco on the west coast of the United States. Uh, welcome whenever and wherever you are. Some of you might be um, downloading the podcast, the Keen On podcast, uh, and listening in your own time. Others are watching in real time, in video, uh, on, on my LinkedIn page and on my Twitter page. Uh, some of you may be getting information on this from, um, from my blog uh, on Substack. Uh, and others will be getting it on uh, Facebook Live. Uh, I don't know if Facebook is back up, if it ever will get back up, but at some point the uh, Facebook uh, Live Lit Hub website is another place you can watch. It's pretty amazing. I've been in this broadcasting media business now for more than 20 years. I started as a founder of a company called Audio Cafe in the mid-90s, and we were trying to change the world of music. I, Seems an awful long time ago, back in 1995. Uh, I worked with the guys at Liquid Audio. Jerry Kirby, uh, rest uh, in peace, uh, was one of my board members at uh, at Audio Cafe. Uh, I knew Michael Robertson very well, the founder of MP3.com. This is all before the Apple iPod. This is all before um, everything changed uh, with Apple and Google and Facebook and Web 2.0. Uh, one of the people I work closely with, I'm a great admirer, both intellectually and in a professional sense, is the great rapper Chuck D, the co-founder of Public Enemy. And back in the mid-90s, he had a what he called back then a super site called rapstation.com, in which he believed, as we all did back in the mid-90s, that musicians and audio and music was changing the very nature, not just of media, and of the media business, but of life itself. Uh, the music business and pioneering thinkers like Chuck D, both in intellectual terms as one of the, 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 the innovators of rap and also one of the innovators of digital music and digital business models, uh, were changing everything. And music and musicians have always been, if you like, the canary in the coal mine when it's come to profound changes uh, in, in the media business and indeed in society itself. That hasn't changed since 1995. In a sense, we're back in 1995 all over again, at least according to my guest today, who has a new book out called uh, We Are All Musicians Now. Um, his name is Zach O'Malley Greenberg. Uh, he's a, a very distinguished music and cultural journalist, and he has a new book out. It's a kind of new book. I don't know whether it, we even call it a book. It's a revolutionary way of doing books um, in which he is uh, rethinking media. It's out on Substack and many other platforms. And I'm thrilled that Zach is joining us from his home in New York. Uh, Zach, you're up uh, up by Columbia University. Uh I've revealed my age, I'm afraid, in this. Uh, you've been around this business a while, too. When you think about the mid-90s and the disruption that we experienced then with RapStation, with MP3.com, with Napster, with Liquid Audio, and then, of course, with Apple, has anything really changed? Is it always the musicians 
and the music business that are are leading the way when it comes to radically disrupting not just media but society? Oh yeah, I think you know everything's changed, right? And that's kind of the, the premise behind the book. We're all musicians now. I mean, uh, if you look at all these changes and you know, Andrew, a lot of the things you write about, um, musicians really were the canaries in the coal mine of this digital revolution. And, um, you know, there's a lot of magical thinking out there that the internet is going to solve all our problems. And, you know, we just get on the train and, and we're going to be having, um, you know, groceries delivered to us uh, by touching a button on our phone and, you know, yada, yada, the list goes on. And, you know, that that's all true. Um, but, you know, we haven't necessarily, I think, as a society processed all the ramifications of that. And, and so, you know, not just the ramifications, but the process of it. And as it happens, musicians have been the ones affected first by this process. What happens when everything is available on demand for free? Well, you know, you know, yeah, if you're a musician in the late 90s, it means that people aren't buying your stuff anymore. And suddenly your primary means of uh, collecting income dries up. And, you know, how, how the heck are you going to make a living? Um, so, you know, watching and studying what musicians have done, the savviest musicians anyway, over the past few decades, um, you know, to me, the premise was if you follow the musicians, you can tell the future. And, and if we kind of go back and, and look, at, look for clues um, and, and see what these musicians did, we can sort of like better equip ourselves for this digital future regardless of whether we're rappers or, you know, hardware store managers. Uh, Zach, you're an authority on, on rap. Uh, you've written a number of books. Your, your, your new book, We Are All Musicians Now, is your fifth book. You've written about Dr. Dre. You've written about Michael Jackson. You've written about Diddy, Jay-Z. Was uh, Chuck D right? Uh, I'm, I'm sure I haven't spoken to him recently, but if, if we were to get Chuck D on the show now, uh, he saw technology, the digital revolution, as radically empowering the musician. It would, uh, it would liberate him. And I had lots of conversations with him and many other musicians about this in the 90s. It would liberate him from the evil uh, label mogul. It would liberate him from the recording studio. It would empower him to create his own business. Has that happened since the mid-90s when it's come to musicians? Well, it's happened for some people, right? I mean, if you look around, uh, you know, of course, characters like Jay-Z, I mean, he's a billionaire. Uh, he really figured out that, you know, it's all about ownership. Um, you have to maintain ownership of your work and not just ownership of your work, but, you know, all the sort of ancillary channels. Um, so for him, that meant, you know, not just rapping about other people's clothing brands and liquor brands, it meant starting his own. Uh, it meant not just, you know, having his songs played, it meant owning his master recordings and his publishing. Um, and it, it also meant owning the platform upon which his music was played, you know, title, streaming service. Uh, so, you know, but not everybody can do that, right? Not everybody's Jay-Z. Not everybody has that kind of, you know, power to, to you know, pull in and, and make these deals and so forth. Um, but, you know, if you look at somebody like Amanda Palmer of the Dresden Dolls or, um, you know, a lot of the other musicians who've gone to Kickstarter and now Patreon, I mean, they've found a way to take their audience to a place where they can sort of communicate directly uh, and where their audiences can, you know, can actually support them in, in a super meaningful way, as opposed to just like a couple of pennies, um, you know, for a CD or. Half right. Because I've been um, 
and, and there's been an ongoing debate since the mid '90s, and particularly since streaming, about uh, whether or not uh, these revolutions actually benefit musicians. Uh, the new streaming platforms are good for Spotify, they're good for Apple Music, they're good for Google, but they may not be very good for musicians. Uh, your new book, We Are All Musicians Now, ironically enough, even though you are a music journalist by training and very, uh, and very well uh, informed about the music business, the book itself is a reminder to everyone else who aren't musicians that we're all musicians now. And that's the point of the book, isn't it? Well, that's right. And, you know, I'm kind of living a meta narrative of what I'm writing about at this point. Right. So I spent, you know, almost 15 years at Forbes, or I mean, I guess, depending on how you count it. Uh, I started as an intern in 2005, full time in 2007. And, um, you know, over the winter, I left and, and uh, I was lured over to Substack to, you know, to try this, to try this. Yeah, and you're, you know, you're the narrative, you're maybe the cautionary yeah. tale, Zach. Um, <laughs> you went to well, Yale I, University, uh, you're a really smart guy, you joined Forbes, you wrote all these uh, you wrote all these, uh, you know, these 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 well-reviewed books about, uh, you know, you wrote A-List Angel, you wrote uh, Empire State of Mind, you wrote Three Kings, uh, you wrote Michael Jackson, you got good deals with publishing companies, or at least at the time seemed to be good deals. But as you say, you are the, the meta-narrative in, in your argument. Not only are you arguing we're all musicians now, but you yourself, in terms of the strategy of this new book, um, is an alternative to the traditional publishing model. Instead of going to a publisher, getting an advance, and then giving them all the responsibility of distribution, you're working with Substack on this. And in fact, uh, uh, the New York Post had a series of pieces uh, making an announcement suggesting that this is meaningful in the publishing business. So what exactly are you doing with Substack and how are you trying in your own small way to blow up the publishing business model? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so in the past, my model was day job at Forbes, um, right by night. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I wrote a bunch of books basically on nights and weekends and, you know, it was, it was a really good setup, but, um, I guess over time, what I, what I realized is that I, I was sort of not walking the walk, right. I'm writing about all these, you know, legendary figures who, who found ways to own their work, um, to, to kind of be their own bosses. And um, I felt kind of hypocritical, you know, being in a situation where, where somebody else, you know, owned the words that were printed. Um, and, you know, I think especially it was frustrating sometimes with books, like, for example, my last book, A-List Angels, uh, which is about the sort of revolution of stars investing in startups and kind of, um, you know, the Ashton Kutcher's of the world, Nas, Shaquille O'Neal, all, all these are people I talked to, uh, you know, how did they get in there and invest in, in these companies, Uber and Airbnb and Casper and, and what have you, uh, you know, have ownership not only in their own work, but in, you know, in these in these ideas, instead of just being an endorser, you know, to come on as, a, as an equity holder. And um, anyway, the book, you know, which I'm very proud of, came out um, on March 10th. And, um, you know, I had a whole book tour planned and um, March, I say March 10th, 2020. The, the important word. Uh, you even got blurbed by the 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 mega blurber of them all, Ariana Huffington. I have to admit, any time a book is blurbed by Ariana Huffington, I would <laughs> choose not to read it. But with you, I make an exception. Uh, um, you so. know, it, I may be the only author to have Ariana Huffington and DJ Khaled on the same uh, book jacket yeah, blurb. Yeah. So, 
but um, but you know, if you're unlucky uh, enough to have your your launch date, which is set, you know, uh, months, sometimes years in advance, just fall on the you know the week that the world explodes into a pandemic, you're out of luck. I mean, you know, I, I should say. I caveat by saying I'm fortunate I didn't lose anybody. Yeah, um, I mean, kind of out of luck. Well, that was the publishing company that got killed because they gave you the So ultimately, it was their problem rather than yours. That's true. But I think the publishing industry model is much like the record model, which is, you know, you set up your release. And if it doesn't, you know, uh, start rocketing off the charts immediately, then you give up and move on to something else. Uh, and and that, know, to me, I, I, I can talk as an author. It, it's particularly painful because we pour years of work, years of love into these things. Years, years, and then years. decisions yeah. are made by some minor marketing person on books. Uh, publishers, they're like VCs. They they choose five or ten percent of their products, which they're going to make an effort with, and the rest they just let die. And it's it's really painful for an author, isn't it? It is. And, you know, what I found um, with A-List Angels was that the success was really in the long tail of it and, you know, and kind of getting out there and doing Zoom readings and conferences and things. And, you know, and, and I found that the book ended up getting to the right people. But, you know, it was really all me kind of doing that work and believing in it and continuing to do it. So, you know, um, when I started talking to Substack this past winter, uh, you know, the idea really resonated with me that, that I could be the one, you know, sort of in charge of my own destiny. Did you but... come to Substack or did they come to you? And, the, and here's the headline for people watching, <laughs> headline from the New York Post. Uh, yeah. Substack signs X Forbes writer as it seeks to disrupt book publishing. So uh, interesting yeah. headline. Uh, so it's a, it's a funny little sidetrack, but... I had actually gotten another offer to go to a rival publication from Forbes and I was all set to do it. Uh, and a few days before I started, they dropped this um, sort of intellectual property bomb on me that they wanted all sorts of control, um, you know, which was, I think, even more than than Forbes had uh, had over my work. And so, you know, I, I, I tried to negotiate and, and couldn't get anywhere. And, and my first call was to the, the founder of Substack or I cold I cold emailed him and I said I told him you know, this is my situation. Um, and, you know, it was a revelation to me, but it must be every day. And what every numbers day did you, uh, I've seen in some of your marketing materials that you have said that you, you all your books together have sold around 100,000 copies. Was this your, your big pitch or was the Forbes pitch? Yeah, I think it's over 100,000 copies worldwide at this point. Um, you know, dozens of covers for Forbes, you know, and all that. But I think, you know, for him, I said, I, I really believe that that book publishing can work through Substack because, you know, of course, there's the part where you own your own work, which is which is very exciting. But yeah. the idea that you get a, a crack you, every week is launch week, right? Every week this thing comes yeah, very out. Very briefly, you know, Zach, not everyone watching or listening to this will know what Substack is. This is not, and let's sure. be clear, this is not an advertisement unpaid or, pay, or, or paid for Substack. I'm on Substack. I like it. I think it's an interesting product. Uh, but what exactly is Substack? Uh, I call it a cross between Medium and Mailchimp. So you know, as a writer, I go in, I write my stuff, I hit the button, and then it goes up live online, and it goes out as an email simultaneously. And uh, readers can sign up for free once a week. They get um, my take on the music, media, and you know, kind of business intersection. Um, and then once a week, the, the paid subscribers get a piece of this book. They get a, a little. So it's a newsletter which um, you give out 
to everyone for free. And then you have a kind of an upsell, which some special services and features and products, mm -hmm. which people need to pay for. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, specifically, you get this book delivered to you uh, in your inbox. But, sub, but, but the deal you did with Substack on, um, on We Are All Musicians Now, they paid you, what, for an exclusive on the content? How did it work? Yeah, I mean, they basically paid me to get it off the ground, you know, to, to take the risk of leaving, you know, a, a, a staff job um, and to go with them. And, you know, I could have taken this book to a traditional publisher. So kind of de-risking a little bit for me, but, you know, basically for the, for there's a period of time where, you know, I'm kind of covered, but it's on me to build my audience, right? If I don't build my audience, this doesn't work. Well. Did they match what a, what a regular publisher would have given you as a, a, a as an advance yeah i mean uh i would say exceeded you know um but uh of course you have to factor in that there's also you know combination of that in my day job and, and so now i'm i'm living the whole thing on substack so how does it work with substack do they do they take given that they gave you an advance on this new book do they take a, a piece of the subscription or is it really just marketing dollars for them yeah, I mean, they, they take a cut uh, of the subscriptions that come in the first year and then, you know, it flips. And so then I take the lion's share of it the second year. Um, so the idea is that, you know, they help me kind of take on some of the risk of getting it off the ground. But I'm incentivized to, to build this readership, you know, um, so that it'll kick in and be there for, for you know, in the future. And, you know, so and to be this as a full time job, it. you said you still have. Oh, a yeah. No, no, so this is my day. This is everything. This is my. You know, this is where I write my, uh, you know, the equivalent of what I would have been writing for Forbes, and it's where I write my book. Uh, it just and, comes and you out. can sign up, by the way, for people who 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 are interested. You can sign up um, for Zach's uh, mailer, Substack mailer, uh, on uh, Zogblog, which uh, is easy to find. Um, are you spending most zogblog.co are you spending yeah. most of your time then with marketing i mean that's the irony of this revolution and this is something uh i've written and, and talked a lot about is that artists were promised independence and autonomy and empowerment uh, but the reality is that for better or worse even the lucky ones like yours who have deals with platforms like substack they have to do all their own marketing now which is the hardest thing of all that's right. I mean, you know, I think that it kind of comes down to probably for every minute you spend creating, you need to spend a minute marketing. Um, and that means, you know, going through and emailing everybody you've ever interacted with and letting them know where you are because, you know, otherwise they don't know where to find you. And then it's how do you kind of go beyond already, um, you know, who's, who's uh, in your network? How do you expand that? How do you, how do you create stuff that's great? And then how do you get people to come to it? You mentioned the long tail uh, earlier, Zach. You used that phrase. I've been involved with an ongoing debate with the author of the long tail, Chris Anderson, about whether it's real or not. Do you believe in Anderson's concept of the long tail? Yeah, I absolutely believe in the long tail. I mean, it's uh, the long tail lands in, in my uh, in my are you checking the long account. Tail, though, or are you the new? Years, I mean, are you more the the new middle class because you're not really the tail of anything. You're a an established journalist, you're not a superstar, but at the same time, you're not, you have brand equity, you have credibility, you have access. So, 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 so isn't Substack, isn't the problem and the challenge with what's happened to media 
is that the, 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 the Dr. Dre's and the Diddy's of the world, they're fine. They're making their millions or billions of dollars. Uh, most people are just giving out their garbage for free. The challenge is to rebuild the creative intellectual middle class, guys like you, isn't it? You're never going to get rich by this, but you just want to pay your mortgage. Well, you look, I mean, I think that's right. I think the question is, you know, if, a hundred, if over 100,000 people bought my books, I get just a couple percent of that uh, to pay to subscribe, you know, to support independent journalism, what I'm doing here. Um, you know, that, uh, that works. That works. I mean, that's a place to start from. Um, and I think that there are a lot of writers out there like that. There are a lot of creators all around the place. The, the challenge is, is it, you know, is it the content or is it the distribution? Um, that really gets people to come in and, um, you know, right. And I think you nailed, you really nailed it with, with the marketing aspect. Um, you know, when you're at a place like Forbes, uh, yeah, they, they do the marketing for you. They can fire off a tweet, um, retweet something you, you write, you know, to, to millions and millions of people. Uh, you know, I mean, I can do that to tens of thousands of people. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a different, it's a different world. Um, but um, what are you learning? There are going to be a lot of people watching this, particularly yeah. on Lit Hub, uh, Zach, who yeah. have aspirations like you of doing a book of one kind or another. And I guess in a way, self-publishing, you're in a sense self-publishing in association with Substack. What yeah. have you learned? What can you tell people that uh, to, to, to help them negotiate these digital rapids, the the, the chaos of a world where People no longer really work with centralized um, uh, media companies like publishers. I think that readers are really smart. Um, I think readers have started to realize that a lot of mainstream publications have gotten watered down and readers follow individual writers. Especially so, Forbes. Know. I mean, Forbes is the is the paradigm of the, I don't know if you call it watered down. I mean, they've basically thrown in their chips with self-publishing and tried to build a business model out of that where they charge people to self-publish on a magazine that many people think is independent is that fair well you know, I, I don't want to but... badly in forbes has been you know very good to me over the years and you know but i think look you, you look around the internet right and you know there's a difference between staffers and and freelancers and paid posts and, and it, you know it's not always very clearly indicated right so when i read you know wherever i'm reading I'm always looking for who's a writer that I like and trust, you know, and it's less about let me go to this site that I trust. Uh, so I think that's why the Substack model does make sense, because, you know, if you were only going for the writers that you really trust anyway, um, you know, why wouldn't you just subscribe to, you know, the handful of writers that you, you know and trust and, and go to them? So, you know, I think trust is the, is the first part. Um, of course, you can't just kind of build that trust. It's very hard to build that trust if you're not building it on an established platform, somewhere like Forbes, the New York Times, wherever. Um, so yeah, I'm one of the lucky ones that I got to start out that way and you know have the option of going independent. Um, you Does know, it I think worry you about the sort of this re-centralization of power? You recently had a piece uh, entitled Revenge of the Record Labels, how the majors renewed their grip on music with in spite of the revolution or because of the revolution uh we've had the consolidation of the publishing business uh as basically one global conglomeration increasingly owning the traditional publishing industry then we have these new platforms facebook of course google um uh, twitter 
and now Substack. Does it worry you that these new players are even more monopolistic and powerful and unaccountable than the old players? You referenced that article I wrote back in, in 2014 with, um, with my friend Nick Masidi, who's actually now the editor of my, of my Substack. Um, and yeah, what I dug into there was precisely what you say, um, you know, how Spotify had sort of taken its, you know, all this political capital that it had, and I don't mean in, in sort of Democrats and Republicans, um, you know, uh, I think that, you know, Spotify knew that it was becoming the platform of choice, right, for consumers. Um, and in order to get into the U.S. market, Substack had to sort of, a Substack. Spotify had to sort of, you know, win over the musicians, had to had to make a deal with the labels. And the labels, on the other hand, knew that they, you know, some, it is, Spotify couldn't do what it wanted to do without their blessing. And so what ended up happening was um, the labels were able to extract, you know, what turned out to be billions of dollars worth of equity in Spotify. And some artists did as well. And, you know, that's something I write about too. Justin Bieber, Diddy, a whole bunch of acts were able to invest in Spotify, you know, long before it went public. Um, and, and this kind of softened things, you know, for, for the uh, labels to be willing to give the permission for Spotify to go ahead and use uh, all, all that music, right, um, in the U.S. market. And, you know, so, so what I wrote about was a couple of years after that, basically saying, you know, look, that's great, you know, all well and good that Spotify can be in the United States. Um, but is this really fair that the, that the labels just kind of went out? and um, use their leverage to get all this equity when, you know, the work that was being leveraged was the artist's work and artists were not getting compensated for it, right? They were sure they were getting paid whatever they were getting paid, you know, a half a penny of stream, something like that. They were getting paid whatever the record deal said they were getting paid, but they weren't getting a cut of that equity. Uh, and that struck me as, as being pretty unfair. And, and so interestingly, you know, again, we go back to the platform that came out on Forbes uh, I think hundreds of thousands of people read it. Um, and, you know, a few months later, we started to hear that, that the labels, oh, you know, we're going to give a pro rata share of, of any, you know, any proceeds we get from any future IPO, um, you know, to the artists. And then, you know, in time, we heard uh, artists like Taylor Swift kind of advocating for this kind of stuff, too. So, I mean, and I think that's what it kind of goes back to when we say we're all musicians now. The technological revolution, you know, okay. Uh, great, we have all this nice stuff now, but how you know how are we going to divide up the spoils, and are we really thinking about it in a truly equitable way? And um, you know, I think that's a great example of, of sort of like you know some of these big players being held to account, and, and what can happen if they are. Yeah, I mean the headlines today, and I surprise, surprise, the headlines today are full of Facebook on the New York Times. One senator in some hearings saying that the whistleblower revelations out of Facebook created a big tobacco moment for Facebook, um, not just for Facebook, I think for big tech generally. Um, Facebook's apps went down. You might not even be watching this on Facebook at the moment because the apps aren't working. Uh, the problem, of course, with Facebook is they're all too powerful. They're the only social media company, just as Google is the only um, essential uh, search engine, just as Amazon is really the only e-commerce company. Would it worry you if Substack became, and, and I, I'm not pointing fingers at Substack, this is more of a structural issue. Should we worry that if a company like Substack 
reinvents publishing and dominates everything and signs up every author that the same uh, winner-take-all economy will affect the publishing industry as it did with music and Spotify? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, we have to be careful, right? Uh, we don't necessarily want to sell the dream of, you know, literally anybody can go and be a writer and, you know, be wildly successful just by starting a blog, um, right? I mean, you know, there's a lot, a lot that goes into it besides that. Uh, and I think similarly, you know, we're learning that um, you can't do that in music. We already learned that you can't just do it on music on streaming. Uh, but if you can have a place where you, you own your work, there's a channel that it's getting out to be distributed, you can make money, you know, in, in other ways related to that. And in music, of course, uh, touring is the obvious one. But, you know, it's also merch. It's also sick. And it's, it's brutal. You know, I mean, and I've businesses. written a lot about this. Uh, touring is, is, is so hard on body and soul. Yeah. You mentioned yeah. that you could, of course, set up a website, a blog. The, the media is full of news about this one uh, sort of uh, one highly touted media startup, Aussie Media, mm -hmm. that was a video content platform. Uh, it's just shut down after a series of scandals. One headline says what they saw in Aussie. Are these independent media players, digital magazines, digital video play uh, platforms, can they work? Uh, <laughs> well, I think with Aussie, it was sort of a build it and they will come, you know. Um, yeah, and, and they, um, well, build it, it and seems... then tell untruths about it and they might come. Yeah. The problem is they right, didn't right. come, so they lied about it, right? Right, 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 right. right. Um, but that's sort of part of this Silicon Valley ethos, right? It's uh, fake it until you make it, um, you know, pour a lot of money into something, you know, really beautiful, then promote the hell out of it and then hope it takes off. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, and uh, I think what we're learning about Ozzy is that, you know, it was it was a castle of sand. Um, surprise, so surprise. We've heard that, uh, Zach, so many times before. Yeah. Um, and yeah. we've also heard we are all musicians now and, in a way, in terms of the, 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 the product that you're developing, the form, we're returning. We're returning back to the, the serialized novel or the serialized book that, of course, Dickens championed in the 19th century. Here we have an image of something from the Washington Post, an opinion piece suggesting that we should bring back the serialized novel, uh, which is exactly what We Are All Musicians Now is doing. It's not a novel. It's a nonfiction book about technology and creativity. Uh, but is there anything really new in all this when you peel it all away, Zach? Uh, well, you know, I think it's a matter of rediscovering, right? Um, when I interview some of the pioneers of hip hop, they don't really even consider themselves pioneers. They say, uh, we didn't invent anything. We reinvented everything. And I think that's kind of how we have to approach this. Say that again. I like that. Say it again. Yeah. We didn't invent anything. We reinvented everything. And if we can reinvent the way that people put out, you know, I hate the word content, um, but that's a word that resonates with people now and seems to apply to writing and music and film and whatever. Um, but if we can reinvent that, um, you know, I think that there's a path for creators uh, in this in this economy, you know, in this kind of dystopian future economy. 
Well, Zach O'Malley Greenberg, I have to say that uh, you've written a nonfiction book, but your name suggests a fictional character. You sound like a combination of a an innkeeper and a baseball player. Wh- wh- who's the O'Malley oh, like and Greenberg? Uh, mom and dad. You know, uh, I like to say it makes a better byline than a marriage. Uh, they've been divorced for many decades, but um, what can you do? So, well, what can um, you do? You can write it, a book. Yeah. We are all musicians now, which is exactly what Zach O'Malley Greenberg has done. Uh, rather than going to your bookstore, though, you need to go to Substack to uh, because uh, Zach has done a deal with Substack. Go to Zogblog to sign up. He's easy to find online. Uh, Zach, in addition to subscribing to your new book, what else should people be reading, listening to, watching? What are you? You're a you're a guy with a with with his finger on the cultural pulse. You see stuff before other people. <laughs> well, what what should people be watching, reading, and listening to these days? Well, the watching is easy tonight. I'll be watching the uh, Yankees Red Sox wild card game. So, oh, yeah. you know, as you mentioned, the baseball player aspect. Um, you know, what what am I listening to? Uh, I'm really eagerly anticipating uh, hearing what Kendrick Lamar has to put out next. And what am I Why? reading? Why? Um, because he's been gone for a while. Um, he's been gone for a few years, and a lot has happened in our world. And I really want to hear what he has to say about it. Uh, you know, here he is. I mean, um, one of the most decorated, uh, not just musicians, but poets of our time, thinkers. Um, and, uh, you know, I've written about him extensively. I've interviewed him a couple of times. And Has he got I a really new album coming out? Mix of it. That's that's the word. So, uh, so it's not imminent. Uh, it will come out, though. No, it's, it's imminent. Yeah, it's imminent. But, you know. Good. Well, I'm sure people will be able to keep up with this on your Substack page. And then what about reading, Zach? A real book, a physical book, the old model, the old world. I just read a great um, physical book by a uh, fellow Yaley and former Forbes guy, um, Christopher Buckley, who you may know of, but um, he's written a lot. But this is a historical fiction novel um, that concerns the, the regicide judges uh, who condemned, I forget which British king it was, but anyway, uh, these these regicide uh, hunters come through New England um, in the era in which the, the Dutch were occupying New York and the British were occupying different parts of New England, and they kind of uh, ramble through the countryside, uh, and it's, it's like hilarious and, and, um, and a great historical romp. It has really nothing to do with anything I write about, but everything to do with, uh, with where I live. Um, and, and work, I guess. So, um, but I, I think it would be enjoyable uh, to anybody. And I'm a big fan of the physical book, despite my uh, current setup. Does everyone who goes to Yale end up at Forbes, Zach? <laughs> uh, I guess a disproportionate amount. Yeah. Uh, Good. I well, Zach O'Malley Greenberg, I strongly, he's really, really excellent journalist. He understands what's happening both in terms of, as he says, content, although he's uncomfortable with that term, and the business models. He has a new model, his new book, We Are All Musicians Now. He's doing it with Substack. And if you want to have access to it, you need to subscribe to his Substack page. Zach, uh, great to have you on the show. And I'd love to get you back uh, to talk more about this model as it unfolds. I'll be curious to see how successful it is and, and what you learn in terms of educating other creatives other writers and musicians thank you so much and and really the best of luck with this new endeavor thank you thanks so much andrew really appreciate it